following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, you can have a seat. I want to thank you so much for singing with us. I want to thank you for being here with us on this holiday weekend. Um, I am I'm grateful for our time this morning. Uh, I do want to give you a heads up, though, on where we're heading. So this morning, we actually are coming to not the end of Genesis, but a pause button in Genesis. This will be our last morning in this book, uh, because next week, we shift into Psalms. Um, every summer, I love our summers here at Stone Oak. What we do traditionally is every summer, we spend the, the summer weeks going through a psalm a week. And we work through it together. And I love this because I don't know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're going through or um, what brings you here. Um, because when we approach the psalms, we see the full gamut of human emotion, from joy um, to, to fear, to sadness, to victory, to anxiety. Uh, it is all there in the Psalms. And what I love about the Psalms is it shows that our God can handle our humanity, that our God can handle our emotions, and that God actually invites us as his children to come to him through the ups and downs of life. That is what the Psalms are. So I'm excited that we are about to step into the Psalms. Um, and just a little more of a heads up, right after, we have a bonus, a bonus book for us in this, this summer. Um, we're not going to spend the entire summer in the Psalms because we are going to spend the last portion of our summer looking at the book of Ruth. And so that is coming. I, I'm really excited. I, I, I'm I'm torn because I'm going to miss Genesis, but here's the reality. We're coming to the, the, the end of Genesis. Like I said, it's a pause button, though, because when we get to the fall, we're coming back because we still have the bulk of the Joseph narrative coming. So we're going to be with Joseph uh, this fall, but for now, that is where we are heading, and we get the joy now of kind of wrapping up Genesis by wrapping up Jacob's story. We're going to be in, Gen- in Genesis 35. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me, scroll with me, get there with me, however you do. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one around you, hardback, black, or blue one. Uh, grab that. You can use that one. Or um, if you're here and you don't own a copy of God's Word, we would love to give you one. So find one of those hardback black or blue, it's a tongue twister, find the one that's in the best condition, take it with you, cheers. Uh, we'd love to give you that as, as a church. So, all right, as we get to Genesis 35, um, over the last five or six years, there has been something uh, that God has been teaching me, bringing me back to kind of just over and over and over again. Um, and it's this idea <laughs> that we as God's people are forgetful. No offense, but you are. We as God's people are a forgetful people that, that we will experience the grace of God in our life, we'll experience God moving and just blowing us away, and then we'll go on with our lives, 
distraction will set in, life will set in. We just get busy. We don't mean to do it, but we forget. We are a forgetful people. We're prone to forget. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to distraction, and it takes us. I just, this is what the Lord's been doing. It takes us, no matter who you are, how mature you are, how young you are to the faith, it takes us constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. Constantly reminding, constantly coming back. It's true for all of us that this walk with Jesus is a daily one. It's a daily, it's a daily walk. So we've often called this idea of um, our forgetfulness, we've, we've called it around here gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia, gospel forgetfulness. Um, and this morning, I want us to talk about gospel amnesia, and I want us to talk specifically about a remedy for our gospel amnesia. And this morning, I want us to think about something that I don't think about nearly often enough, just full confession. It, it's this idea of gospel pillars. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Um, gospel pillars. And here's the cool thing. I know that because all of us deal with gospel amnesia, that all of us will benefit from this text. (laughs) And so I'm excited for this morning. Um, As we turn our attention to to Genesis 35, um, I was hoping, really was, had big dreams of walking through this whole entire chapter. But as I was preparing, I just, (laughs) no, no. Not going to be able to do that. This chapter is incredible. I mean, we have, we have God appearing to Jacob again. We have kind of Jacob in response to God appearing to him, just kind of throwing out everyone's idols. That's kind of awesome. We see God's protection over Jacob and the people of God in verse 5. Toward the end, we see the deaths of some really key people. We see the deaths of, of Rachel, Jacob's wife, and Isaac, Jacob's dad. There's a lot going on in this chapter. Uh, but in my study... I really want us to just hone in and settle in and take kind of a bite-sized section and just camp on it for a little bit, focus our attention on it. So would you look with me at verse 9? Verse 9 says this, 35, verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again. Pause. Zero in with me on this word again. Again. This means after it all. <laughs> this means that after the saga that we have read and spent our time with over the last several weeks, this means after all of the wandering and the trickery and the journey, God appears to Jacob again. Again. This word again reminds me, it should remind us of, of Jacob's whole story, his whole narrative. God appears to Jacob again. Now, um, before we move on, I know that in most stories, we love to find a good guy. Every story needs a good guy, a hero. We love it. I think it's kind of built into our our DNA. Um, We love spotting the good guys and spotting our bad guys. It makes our world make sense. I get it. Um, This is why our little boys and girls grow up looking up to, dressing up like their heroes, those superhero good guys. It's no coincidence, by the way, I've, I've put a cape on my four-year-old multiple times this week. Um, we watch our movies. We like to find our bad guys and good guys. We read our books. We have our good guys, right? Um, we love it. But so often, 
when we are reading Scripture and working through Scripture, and, and we take that tendency to want to find good human heroes, it can be really frustrating. Just really frustrating. Um, side note here, this is one of my pet peeves about a lot of the children's Bible story curriculum. Um, it drives me crazy because you, you, sometimes you, you, you look at this and, and you, you walk away from the story and you think, wow, Moses was awesome. Or, uh, man, David, he was a hero. And then we, um, the more you read scripture, you realize, <laughs> the point of Moses' story is not how awesome Moses is. The point of Moses' story is how awesome God is. And, and we've said this before, but it, I think it's important to understand that our Bible is not a collection of stories of heroes and giants that we'll never even get close to. That's not what the Bible is. The more we, don't hear me wrong, though, um, there are heroic things in our Bible. There, there are stories. I mean, I think of Daniel. He's willing to go to the lion's den, right? Uh, you think of David and Goliath. You think of Peter after being imprisoned. He's out there preaching again. That's awesome. You think of Paul, right, who just is going to plant a church in every city in the known world, regardless of what they say or do to him. I mean, th these are awesome. These are heroic stories. But by and large, the more you read these stories, and the more you read scripture, the more you realize that these are, are so human. They're so human. And the more you see that these are stories not about incredible humans, but about an incredible God who is at work. And, and as we kind of round out Jacob's story, as we read it, it's clear Jacob is not a superhuman hero. He's deeply flawed. In fact, the more we've read it, and we've asked this question a lot as we've kind of worked through Jacob's life, is why Jacob, God? Like, you could have picked a lot of guys and girls on your team here, and you pick, why Jacob, right? And um, then we're reminded that it is all about, it's always been about the grace of God, which just makes no sense. Just does not make sense. Our scripture is less a collection of stories about heroes and good guys as it is a story about one good guy, one hero, who chooses to use and love and bless a collection of men and women who are at times boneheads. That's the theological word for, for what we have here. Um, but in chapter 35, as we get there, as we close our time in Genesis, it's really important for us because we've had one predominant theme. We've had one thing that just comes to the surface over and over again, and that's the doctrine of grace. It's important for us, I believe, to end our time looking at this deeper. Um, why Jacob, right? Uh, it's because the grace of God. Jacob didn't deserve for God to appear to him at all. In verse 9, God appears to Jacob Again, not just appears to him, but as verse 9 says, when he came to Padam Aram, he appeared to him and blessed him. God appears to Jacob, certainly didn't have to. Jacob certainly didn't earn that privilege. God appears to Jacob, not to smite him, which by the way he did deserve, but to bless him, which he clearly did not deserve. When we see Jacob, he's a man with a rough life. He's a man who was blessed by God, promised to 
promise, given a promise by God, and then he just seems to go and mess things up like again and again and again and again, right? This was Jacob, but after it all, through it all, God appears to him and blesses him. Like I said, we like our good guys. We like our stories with good guys. We love it when they triumph, but that is not verse 9. That's not verse 9. In verse 9, Jacob is no hero. He's not the... He doesn't deserve this. In fact, you can argue that he tries his best to thwart this. But after it all, God appears to Jacob and blesses them, blesses him. How could this be fair? How could this be right? As I was studying this week, I was stopped in my tracks by verse 9 because I believe that this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of it all. This is the gospel because this is what grace looks like. I was stopped in my, tra- my tracks here because this is what separates our faith in Jesus from religion. It's not possible for me to overstate this. We as Christians, we have to keep coming back to this over and over because you're, you're forgetful. I'm forgetful. We wander. We've, we get distracted and we have to anchor ourselves, we're so prone to replace the doctrine of grace that I didn't deserve it but God. We're so prone to try to replace that with some version, our version of a doctrine of works. Because we really like earning things and contributing to things. We really, really like it. And we don't understand here why God would appear to Jacob who didn't deserve it, who didn't earn it, and bless him. We can't make sense of this because grace doesn't make sense. It's grace. And, and I was just stopped here. I mean, if, as you think about this, I, here's where I want to settle in on this. After it all, after it's all said and done, absolutely nothing had changed in the promise of God to Jacob. Nothing. Nothing had changed. I mean, if you, we don't have time to do this, but if you go back to Genesis 12, 15, and 17 and read God's promise to Abraham... And you go back and read Genesis 26 with God's promise to Isaac. And then you read what we're about to read. Nothing has changed. God's promise remains. It is there. It is true. And now God's going to bless Jacob. Let's pick it up. Verse 10. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall it be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the, in the place where he had spoken to him. So just take this in. Through all the wondering, through all the craziness that we have read about in the life of this family, the promise that God had given Jacob had not changed, had not been modified, had not been nullified. Nothing had changed. It stood. Through it all, it stood and it remained. Because here's the, the reality. Because of the grace of our God, 
because of his grace. That just doesn't make sense. Because of his grace. When God makes a promise to you, it is not dependent on you for him to keep it. I want you to just take this in. When God makes a promise to you, it's not dependent on you for him to then keep it. I think it's so often, I think it's easier to trust in Christ's ability to save us than it is for Christians to trust in Christ's ability to keep us. to do everything that he has promised to do. In other words, I think it's easier for us to say, amen, Jesus, your promise is mine, than it is for us to say, amen, Jesus, your promise is still mine. He makes, God makes a promise to Abraham that was not dependent on Abraham's greatness, He makes a promise to Isaac that's certainly not dependent on Isaac's greatness. And here he makes a promise to Jacob, which was not dependent on Jacob's greatness. Your God will carry out all that he has promised to do. Because when your God makes a promise to you, it's not dependent upon you for him to keep it. And we can't let it stop here because we have to apply this to us. What's true for Abraham, what's true for Isaac, what's true for Jacob, church, is true about God's promises to you. Your God is going to carry out all the things that he has promised you. He will do all that he has promised because it's not dependent upon you. This is really good news. Ephesians 1.13, Paul says it like this, "...in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him..." were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Meaning, through all of your ups and downs, through all of your wanderings, you in Christ are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and all that God has promised is yours through Jesus Christ. All of it. And just like with Jacob, this wasn't, I I promise you, Jacob, maybe. This church was not a, this might be yours kind of thing. This, as Ephesians says, is a guarantee. And it's not guaranteed because anything you do, it's guaranteed because of God himself. The power of God to save you is the power of God to keep you and to do all that he said he would do. The power of God to make the promise is the power of God to keep the promise. You will acquire possession of the promises God has made to you. And it's not because I think you're awesome, but it's not because you're awesome. It's, it's, it's not. Just like Jacob, this is not because of how awesome you are. It's because of his grace and his grace alone. And this, by the way, church, you know this, but it goes against every one of your tendencies, if you're honest. Every single one of them. Because we want to feel like we earn something. I mean, we might not be able to earn it all, but at least I want to do enough to where I feel better than that guy. Or if this is the average, please tell me I'm right here. Don't, I'm not here, right? 
We want to do something. We want to bring something to the table. We know that whatever's on the table doesn't matter, but we want to have something on that table to look pretty. We, it goes against everything in our, every tendency we have. The gospel just turns it on its head. Just turns it on its head. And when you see this, it just changes everything. It changes the way you think, and it leads you. It should lead you to this idea of what I'm going to call a gospel pillar. And I want to camp here this morning. It should lead us, as we realize this, as we see this, as we understand, here's the reality, as we understand that we don't earn this grace, there's nothing we can do to earn this grace. When we understand it's not ours to earn, that the promises of God are not for you to earn, when we understand it's not about you earning it, then we start to understand that ours, our responsibility is to remember it. When we understand we're not trying to earn the favor of our God, then we can understand that it's ours not to earn it, but to remember it. And this is where this idea of gospel pillars come into this. And I want you to listen to this in verse 14. Jacob, what's he do? He sets up a pillar. He, he, God appears to him, rocks his world, my words, and then he sets up a, a pillar in a place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And so Jacob called the name of the, that place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So in other words, when, God, when, when Jacob is blessed by God, when Jacob is given this promise, when Jacob experiences this grace and God's goodness, all he's left to do is set up a pillar. When, when God shows up, when God moves, Jacob's left to set up a pillar. And this pillar is really simple. It's not, nothing special in and of itself. What it, this was was just simply a monument. It was simply a way for Jacob to remind himself and to remind others around Jacob, to remind his community about the grace and the goodness of God. That's all this was. It's nothing hokey pokey. It was to remember this moment. It was a way to bring Jacob back to this moment because Jacob knows Jacob and he's prone to forget it. Bring Jacob back to this moment. That's what this pillar was. So he sets up this pillar to where he reminds himself and he reminds others, right, of the promise and the grace of God. Now, if you were to zoom out, and if you were to just look, speed read through Genesis and Exodus, uh, speed read the whole Bible. You should do that sometime. If you were to do that, you would see a lot of pillar making. Just an insane amount. In fact, it's hard to find a, a moment where God shows up and the people don't make or do something as a way to remember it. I, I, I think about um, all throughout Genesis, but... God shows up, and God's people, what do they do? They, they find some stones, and they build something, or they find a, they build a monument, they build an altar, they, uh, they start a practice, and they're like, from now on, we're going to do this so that we remember that. You see it all throughout Scripture. God's people are constantly doing something to remember. 
You're constantly doing this. It, it, we read scripture, and as we read it, we, we've, I just came away with this, as I just kind of did a quick survey of this, is that these pillars are simply ways to help forgetful people remember. That's what they are. Let me ask you, do you have ways to intentionally remember the gospel in your life? Hopefully you do, but I want you to think about them. Do you have ways to intentionally remember the gospel? Do you have ways when God shows up in your life? Maybe he answers a prayer. Maybe he, he, he just shows up in your life. Do you have ways that you set up a pillar? Ways that cause you to look back and remember? I mean it. Think about it. This may sound like a really odd question. In some ways it is. Um, but I've just been drawn to this this week. This is so important. We are forgetful people. And pillars help forgetful people to remember. We need gospel pillars in our lives. We need, you need to be a pillar-making person for Jesus. Do you have them in your life? Have you set pillars up for you and for your family? I've even thought about this as our church. Do we have pillars? Think about this. God has done so much in Stone Oak Bible Church. Just so much. I look back on it, and I'm just like, it gives me goosebumps when I think back on it. God has done and worked so much in Stone Oak Bible Church. Do we have pillars to help us remember them? Do we have pillars that we set up and say, look what God has done? Do we have this? For many of us, we need to get better at this, including myself. Pillars do two things. And uh, I'll just say them both up front, and then we'll, we'll go one by one. But the first thing pillars do is they will bring you back to a moment that the enemy would rather you forget. And the second thing pillars do is they help teach others about a moment that the enemy would rather them never know. Okay, let's walk through these one by one. I want to be very clear here what my purpose is. My goal is that you will leave this place this morning and each of you, in your own way, will be a pillar-making person. All cards on the table. That's where we're going. Let's look at this first one. Pillars. Why are they so important? The first one. Pillars will help bring us back to a moment. Bring you back to a moment that the enemy would rather you forget. It is so easy to get distracted by all of today's struggles, all of today's just life, or even about tomorrow's anticipated struggles. It's so easy for us, for our minds to shift there and to completely forget about God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe it's just me, but it's easy to forget. Now, um, I don't know how you feel about journaling, uh, I debated whether I was going to share this. I think I should. I, I, um, someone really counseled me to start journaling about five years ago. And so I, I've been journaling for about five years. And um, it's really become a part of my life. Each day what I do is there's nothing special about it. I just journal my prayer um, each day. And, and this is really for no one else. It's for God. It's for me. 
not for you. Um, that's it, right? Uh, but occasionally what I'll try to do is I'll try to remind myself to, to open up a previous journal and to just read. Um, I'll read about seasons of joy and struggle and anxiety. Um, I'll read about a prayer that I had that God answered. <laughs> and um, it's just been a part of my life. Well, recently, the reason I thought about this is um, this week I, I grabbed a journal um, from a long time ago, one that was, I was using when we were just starting this church plant. And um, it's about, I think this journal was about five years uh, ago. And um, specifically, it was when we were in the process of adopting my little boy. Uh, it was his birthday this week. And um, as I was sitting there, I just wanted to, I wanted to look back and I wanted to remember and uh, I pulled this out and just read the words, and whew, what an incredible perspective check that was. I had no idea when I was writing those prayers and those words what God was going to, to do. And um, God answered prayer after prayer after prayer. He showed up. He did a work on us in this season. I mean, and it was all there. And, and as I read this journal, it just came to my mind, this is a pillar. This is a pillar for me. Look what the Lord has done. Look what he did. His goodness, his grace. Pillars make the faithfulness of our God in the past um, inform our faith in God for our future. That's what they do. This is a pillar for me. Pillars will bring us back, as I said, to a moment that the enemy would rather you forget about. See, the enemy is not exactly excited about me being reminded of God's faithfulness in my own life. He would, uh, he would much prefer me to be short-sighted with blinders on for what I'm facing today, all the issues that I'm facing today, he would much rather me be focused in on that and forget about all that other stuff. But a pillar, see, that causes me to remember. What are your pillars? What are ways that you set reminders for yourself? And they don't have to be journaling. Um, I talked to someone this week whose pillar is literally a framed scripture that is on her wall because that was the scripture that God used to call her into ministry. And so daily, she's confronted with that. That's a pillar. I, I've, maybe it's a bracelet or some jewelry, a picture, a place, a certain uh, scripture or a tattoo. I don't know what it is for you. What are the pillars in your life? Um, I talked to someone else this week whose pillar is so simple. It's whenever there's a moment, a, a pillar moment, she'll put it in her phone as a reminder. So all throughout the year, she's getting this ding. It's just a reminder. It's like her phone dings her to say, hey, you're God's faithful. 
That's awesome. That's a simple pillar. Um, one more, one more pillar example here. Uh, there was a young family I knew a while ago who went through a really difficult time with the birth of their, their first child. It was, just, it was a really difficult time, a scary time for their newborn. It was a time they don't want to repeat. But it was also a time where the Lord showed up in them and just changed their lives and, and answered prayer and worked in a beautiful and power, powerful way. And if they can go through that, they can go through anything, right? And so they went through this, and, and I noticed that the dad, um, he keeps the hospital tags in his guitar case. He's a musician. Now that's a pillar. It's a reminder of God's goodness because your default, you've got to see this, your deep, default is forgetfulness. If left to your own, you will forget, and pillars help you to remember. Maybe you're here and you're not a pillar kind of person. Um, I actually relate to you. I am not a sentimental kind of guy. It's the last thing I think about doing. Um, maybe you're here and you hear this and you're just like, I don't think this way. I would challenge you in your own way. In your own way. Whatever this looks like for you, find a way to actively take notice of the goodness and the grace of God. And find a way to remind yourself. You may be thinking, come on, pastor, this is really basic, move on. This is important. I think we think that we're not as forgetful as we really are. This is important. The way we strengthen our faith is not through just like doing... I don't know, doing a workout or whatever. That's not it. The way we strengthen our faith is by constantly remembering the grace of God. We remember and then we remember again and then we remember tomorrow and then next week we're remembering again. That is how we grow in our faith. So set up pillars because they are going to bring us back to a moment that your enemy would rather you forget. But we can't just leave it here because it's not just about you. It's not just about you because these pillars, they're not just to be reminders for you. Now, if you have pillars in your life that are just for you, for example, the example I shared, my journaling, that's fine. That's fine. But pillars are not just for you as an individual. The second thing I want us to see here is pillars will help teach others about a moment that the enemy would rather them never know. In other words, pillars, church, are teaching moments. They say and they say loudly, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord, remember what the Lord is done. Now, culturally, I think we are really good at doing this in the face of tragedy. So if something happens in, in life that's just a tragedy, um, I think we're good at memorializing it. I, I think back, I saw an article, I think from the Washington Post this week, about the... Sutherland Springs Memorial that has just been finished. If you don't remember what happened there, it's just a tragedy that happened at Sutherland Springs. And um, they just finished a memorial that just sets up this incredible reminder to this church, to this small town, about God's faithfulness in the midst of tragedy. 
It's the memorial. It's, it's the Oklahoma City Memorial in Oklahoma City. It's the 9-11 Memorial in New York City. Culturally, we have these moments. We have these ways that we won't forget. Now, these memorials are certainly for the people who lived through. They're certainly for the people who lived through these things. But it's more than that. This is for those who didn't. This is for those who weren't there, who were too young to remember, who weren't even born yet. This is to memorialize something so that it is not and will not be for forgotten for generations coming. These memorials draw our attention back to things that should never be forgotten, right? As we look at scripture, we see these pillars and memorials everywhere and they do just that. I think about one example that I think of off the top of my head is the Exodus in Genesis. If you remember Moses and in his story, God does the just the miraculous and sets his people free from slavery. And what do they do? It's like the next verse. They're setting up memorials. They're setting up practices. They're setting up feasts that just remind them of what the Lord just did. I think specifically about Passover, for example. This Passover meal, this was symbolic of what the Lord had done. It was a way to constantly remind themselves, but not just them. It was for generations and generations and generations to come. To remind them, come together and remember. Remember that God delivered you. This is a memorial. This was a pillar, and this was a teaching moment. See, Satan would want nothing more than for the people of God to be perfectly content and happy with forgetting what he has done and how he has provided. So every time that the people of God come together and they celebrate Passover, they remember and they teach. That is a pillar. For generations to come, church, this pillar of Jacob would be a symbol of God's faithfulness and how God showed up. We would remember, and we still do remember, Bethel. It's a pillar. Do you have pillars? Do we have pillars? Reminders of the gospel. I want us to finish our time this morning by thinking about one of the pillars of the gospel that we have as a church. And that's communion. I want you to think about communion. As we prepare for communion, so often we read, um, do this, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is literally saying, take this practice and set it up as a pillar. A pillar to remind yourself and to remind each other about the work that I have done on the cross. This is a pillar to remind ourselves of the gospel. And it's been that way for generations and generations and generations. It's a gospel pillar. Occasionally, here at Stone Oak, we have um, services where our, some of our elementary are in the service with us. And... Um, so that means every once in a while, like this morning, uh, actually, my two boys are in service with us. And a few weeks ago, I forget what made us talk about this. We were talking about church together, and I asked, uh, my wife and I asked them, what's your favorite part about being in church, in, in what we call big church, right? 
what's, what's your favorite part? And uh, without hesitation, without even having to think, my oldest son said communion. Communion. And when he said that, it just brought out for me in a very fresh way this truth. Pillars will help teach others about a moment that the enemy would rather them never know. The gospel pillar of communion is teaching us, church. It's reminding us from generation to generation, and it's a moment that the enemy would prefer that you didn't know, that we didn't know, that we would stop remembering. See, communion is a gospel pillar that reminds us of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that it was his body that was broken, that it was his blood that was spilled, that Jesus Christ gave his life to save ours. That is what communion does, is it grounds us in this truth. Oh, we forgetful people, it pulls us back. And it reminds us of something that our enemy would rather us forget about. It reminds us of something that our enemy would prefer if we didn't teach. Communion is a gospel pillar that says we remember. The call this morning is, is really simple. One, you need to realize that you're forgetful. It's okay to, remember, to, to acknowledge that. You, we are forgetful, and we need to constantly remember. And two, let us become a pillar-making people for Jesus. That we will get so good at when God moves in our life, the first thing that comes to our mind is, what can we do to remember this? What can we do to share this? How can we make a pillar? And I want us to end our time this morning, church, by coming back to the pillar that Christ gave us and to end our time by coming to the communion tables together. First Corinthians uh, says this, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread when he'd given thanks for it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you come to this gospel pillar, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have four tables in the room this morning, each one of them with a basket of bread and and cups of, of juice. And representing the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for you. You don't need to be a member with us here at Stone Oak to to take communion with us, um, to celebrate communion with us. If you're a guest or you're a visitor with us and you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you. Let's, Let's remember. I already called you forgetful, so I want to make that up to you and give you a way to remember, all right? We invite you to come to the tables with us and to remember. And so as we close this morning, the team's going to lead us in a song. And as they do, let us remember by coming to this pillar. Let us remember Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, 
we confess that we are often so forgetful. We confess that so often we just, we get so distracted. And Lord, you know us, you know our hearts, you know our passions and our desires, you know our propensity to wander, you know this about us. And so Lord, you gave us ways that we can be reminded. So Lord, I pray that as we are in this room, maybe thinking about this for the first time, would you show us how we can be pillar-making people? Would you show us how we can begin to better remember and better teach about the things that you have done in our life? Would you show us ways to showcase your faithfulness? Would you show us ways to approach our present and our future differently because we have remembered the past? Would you show us, Lord? Would you show us how to do this better? Would you help cure our gospel amnesia with with gospel pillars? And would you start it this morning? As we approach these tables, we may approach them very distracted. We may approach them with a heaviness in life right now. We may approach this table with problems and concerns and with trials and all of the things that life has for us. But as we approach these tables, would you allow our hearts to be constantly reminded that you are faithful, that you are good, that you have always been faithful, that you have always been good, that your love, that your faithfulness has never run out and it never will. Would you allow us to approach these tables and be reminded of your grace and your promise that you have made to us? And would you just remind us that your promise that you have made through your son sealed by your spirit. Would you show us that that promise is not dependent on us, but it is dependent completely and totally on you and what you promise you will do. We approach these tables now in confidence through Jesus Christ and his work. Draw all our focus and our attention up, Lord, in Jesus' name.